You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, I trust you have your Bibles, and if you do, let's take them and turn to uh, Psalm 23. The 23rd Psalm as we continue in our series, God in Control. Um, little disclaimer as we get started today, I want to make sure that you understand that the message title is, is Back on Track, that in no way is a reflection of last week's message. Okay, Jason did a great job opening the word and uh, preaching from uh, Psalm 24, I'm actually going to refer to it partway through the message. Uh, he did a great job and we're thankful to God for his passion, his love for the Lord and his desire and growth in preaching. Uh, the title of this message was chosen long before I knew he was going to preach on that weekend, and so this is not about him. And uh, so you can feel sorry for him if you want, but not because of this. And um, back on track, all of us have times in our lives when, uh, spiritually speaking, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we come to a place of, yeah, you know what? I'm not where I was. Maybe a month ago, or maybe two months ago, or maybe six months ago, I was in a better place than I, I am right now. I was more passionate in my following of Jesus Christ. I, I can remember a year ago, I was getting up every morning, and I was opening the Word, and I was spending time reading it, and, and now not so much. It, it's not like it was. And you've kind of got off track, and you need to get back on track, And that's what we want to take a look at today. Um, The verse we're looking at specifically is, He restores my soul. I was somewhere. I was in a better place. I'm not in that place right now. And Lord, I need you to restore my soul. We find it right in the middle of Psalm 23, and uh, that's our text. I trust you have your Bibles open to it. So let's stand. We want to honor God, and I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm. You watch and listen. Um, as I read these verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word This amazing psalm, a testimony of David and his life, a man who loved you. Your word says he was a man after your own heart, but Lord, a man who messed up significantly, a man who understood what it meant to be off track and needing to get back on track, a man who understood what it meant to be overwhelmed by his sin and yet a desire for restoration. And Father, so much of his life is uh, just tied up in these few verses. But Father, they come back to the root that you are God and you are in control. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in us today. Father, that we would come and set aside our own agenda, set aside our own pride, our own arrogance. And, Lord, we would come before you with a, Lord, speak to me today. 
I'm here to listen to what you have to say and do what you want me to do, God. Give us ears to hear your words and minds that we would understand them and then hearts that passionately would fulfill your word for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, if you're like me and you're honest with yourself, from time to time, we all need a good wake-up call. We all need that time to get back on track. Our Our souls need some refreshing. We need to be restored. And and that's what David is calling us to in the psalm today. And so let's dive right in. And um, the verse in verse 3 says, He restores my soul. The first thing I want you to see about that is uh, restored he, not me. He, not me. It doesn't say I restore my soul. It doesn't say I try harder. It doesn't say I try and figure stuff out. It doesn't say I try and get myself back into a better place. It says he restores my soul. A little bit of review from Psalm 23 and what we've seen so far. We started out in the first week and just uh, word by word going through that first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, not a Lord. He's not one of many gods. He is the God. He is the only way, the only truth. He's the only life and the Lord uh, you, all, you run up against all kinds of people who go, no, no, you're on a good path and I'm on a good path and we're all gonna get there together. No, we're not. There's one God, the, and the Lord. The one we're speaking of in Psalm 23, the one who is our shepherd, the one, he is God who is sovereign. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who, who gave his son, who sent him to be the propitiation, the right payment, so our sin could be covered He is the one who gave us the word, the Lord, the Lord. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. It speaks of a God who loves us and wants a personal relationship with his children. And and this Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want what? I shall not want another shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want any other shepherd. And I don't want what any other shepherd offers. Now, you know, the first part of that probably is fairly easy for us theologically to get a hold of. Well, of course not. Jesus is the way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want another shepherd. But what do you get caught up in? What do you really worship in your life? What's really the most important thing to you? I shall not want another shepherd and I shall not want what another shepherd offers. Well, the other shepherds in this world offer all kinds of things and it's not just false teaching and false religion. The the other shepherd might be offering you fame or fortune or power or pleasure and all the things that we find we want in this world and I want that, I want that, I want that. And you just find yourself how much you talk about things and what the focus of those things in your life is. Um, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want another shepherd and I shall not want what another shepherd offers me. That was the first message. The second message was about, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. 
And we talked about the reality of the, the green pastures and how the shepherd would go out and find a pasture. And then once he found it, he would have to make sure that the rocks and the stumps and everything were all cleared out of it so that the sheep wouldn't get hurt. And he had to make sure that any holes or ditches that were found in it were filled in so no one would stumble or fall. Um, one of our elders, Dave Locke, was up at his cottage yesterday, and they were uh, pushing a trailer around on his, uh, on his property there, and uh, there was this little indent in the ground, and he stepped on it, and all that was holding the grass there was just what was there in the sod, and he fell one leg through up to his thigh into a hole. He's okay. He's here. He wasn't in the first service. I told the folks this story, and as he's coming in, they're going, are you okay? Are you okay? And he had no idea how everybody knew about him falling into a ditch. Well, you all know he's going to make it. And, uh, but the shepherd's job was to make sure that the green pasture was prepared so that the sheep wouldn't get hurt. But it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And the shepherd does everything I can so the sheep will want to lie down. But I told you the story of the Lord needed to lay me down in a green pasture. And my green pasture looked an awful lot like a hospital bed. As I I did the surgery on my ankle and because God was teaching me something. I look back at that now and I go, that was awesome what God did. It was amazing what he taught me in that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters, the still waters of refreshing and sustenance. And and this is what God does for us. See, Psalm 23 isn't some mamby-pamby little poem that we just say to each other. This, This is about God and God in control. Well, then we come to our verse today. It says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. God brings us back. He restores what once was, and we're going to come to that in just a minute, but when God restores your soul, it doesn't bring you to a place of easy believism. It doesn't bring you to a place of, well, God did it. I'm safe now. Everything's fine and dandy. You are safe now. Everything is fine and dandy, but here's what it brings for you. When he restores your soul, it brings you to a place of, oh my goodness, God is awesome. Look what he has done. The one who is the creator of the earth, the one who was the giver of life, the one who gave his son, the one who gives us his word. Ah, God is awesome. It'll bring you to humility and submission and obedience and surrender because God is exactly who he says he is. And in our verse today, it says he restores My soul. He restores my soul. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. God owes me nothing. And he restores my soul. God owes me nothing. Not only did he restore my soul, he did it by giving his only son. He restores my soul. Restored he, not me. Here's the next thing. Restored to what was Restored to what was. I I went on Google and found some pictures of um, antiques being restored. And so uh, let's go to the first one. You see a picture of an old chair and it's just all messed up. And if that was mine, I'd probably go, yeah, let's just send it to the dump. And I would throw something away that's probably worth a lot of money. And uh, somebody took the time and they restored that chair to the condition that it once was. Uh, Here's another picture for you. A picture of uh, an old car and what it looked like before and then what it looks like after. And uh, 
So when you think about he restores my soul, he's, he's restoring to us what we once were. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we have Adam and Eve, and they're walking with God in the garden, and, and they have fellowship with him, and it's beautiful. It's sweet, the fellowship that they have. And the Lord says, um, you have anything you want in the garden except this one thing. Don't eat from this one tree. And they chose that they wanted what they wanted more than what they wanted, what God wanted for them. And they ate of the fruit. And the fellowship was gone. It was destroyed. And it couldn't be fixed by anything they could do. In Genesis chapter 3 and 15, um, God is speaking and he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. That's what Jesus will do to Satan. And, and you shall bruise his heel. In the beginning, in the picture of salvation and what God would do in restoration back to proper relationship with God, he restores my soul. In Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first reality for everyone in this world is we need to be restored in relationship to God. That happened through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can't restore yourself. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and he makes us alive in Jesus Christ. And so you need to be restored, restored to that relationship, restored to that fellowship, restored to that intimacy that man once had with God Almighty. And that's only possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He was the right and righteous and only true payment that was possible so that, so that that chasm of sin could be covered and broken and he paid a price that you couldn't pay so you could be restored, restored in salvation. Well, how do, how do I get this salvation? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the Bible says. It doesn't say try harder. It doesn't say have more works. It doesn't say if you do, just do enough stuff, God will one day look it down at you and go, well, I guess you're okay. You can't get there. Because the standard that God has is all sin must be taken care of and you can never do that. No matter how good you think you are, you can never measure up to that. And so a payment had to be made, a, a price had to be paid and the only pure and right sacrifice was Jesus Christ the Lord and he paid a price that you couldn't pay so you didn't have to pay it and all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will, you will be saved. Restored. Have you done that? Not, not, no, I've gone to church all my life. No, 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 not, no, I've learned the Bible verses. No, no, my mom and dad went to church. Yeah, all those things might be really interesting things to say, but when you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? If your answer is, well, I learned the Bible verses or, or I went to church all of my life or my mom and dad dragged me there when I was a teenager, uh, 
God will look at you and say, I never knew you. We're restored through faith alone in Christ alone because of God's grace poured out on us. Restored when you understand I'm a sinner who's separated from God. I need a savior. That savior is Jesus Christ. And I accept the finished work of Christ for my salvation. He restores my soul. He restores our soul in salvation. He also restores our soul on an ongoing basis as followers of Jesus Christ through sanctification. There's none of us in the room that are perfect. There's none of us who can say, I went through all of last week and I never, had a, I never had a prideful thought or I never did anything that didn't honor the Lord. All of us, all of us fall under the weight of that. And so we can be restored in the whole area of growing up in Christ, in sanctification, in becoming holy in our walk. And that's an ongoing process that happens every day. And it comes as I come before the Lord and I cry out to him and, and I confess my sin to him and he forgives me. And not just once or not just twice, but over and over and over and over again. He forgives. He forgives And he restores us in that walk of fellowship and that walk of intimacy with him. Even though we wander off, he never wanders off. And he's always ready to receive us back. And you're sitting there going, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done. But I know the guy who wrote this was a, a murderer and an adulterer. And God says, and he says, you restore my soul. Restored he, not me. Restored to what was in sanctification, in communion with him daily, growing up, in, in, in restoration of intimacy to Abba, Father. Now, some people in the room haven't cried out Father to God for a long time because you feel you're so far away. And today is the day, Lord, restore my soul. This is a day of restoration to fellowship. I was talking to one of the guys in our church this week and he goes, I don't know if we should use that word. That word doesn't mean anything. Well, okay, it's time to take that word back. That word belongs to us. Fellowship is doing life together. Fellowship is not how was the weather when you got to church? Did you get wet when you were walking from the parking lot to the front door? Fellowship was not, wasn't it great how badly Germany beat in the game this afternoon? Wittingstall, German roots. So I'll gloat until about six and then put it away because that's not fellowship. It's okay to talk about FIFA and it's okay to even talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and it's okay to talk about the weather, but that's not fellowship. Fellowship is when we do life together. Fellowship is when we spur one another on to love and good deeds. Fellowship is what happens in small group when we have a time of accountability together or or your brother or sister phones you up and in Christ they say, how are you doing? I know you are struggling. That's what fellowship is. He restores our fellowship, our fellowship with him and our fellowship with one another. He restores my soul So not only restored he, not me, restored to what was. Here's another point. Restored for what is to come. We're restored for what is to come. In 1 John 3, 1 to 3, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There's so much more coming for the follower of Jesus Christ. Restoration in salvation is amazing. Restoration in sanctification, we're going to come back to that in a minute, is phenomenal. But restoration in what is coming, heaven, glory, the presence of God, that's what we're restored to. Listen to what uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, talking about glory that is to come. He said this, for this light momentary affliction, that's the stuff we go through now, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Okay, I read that and I'm like, really? Okay, listen who's saying this and what he says. For this light momentary affliction. This is Paul the Apostle. This is the guy who's um, going to get stoned. This is the guy who's going to prison. This is the guy who will be shipwrecked. This is the guy who is hungering and thirsting. And what does he call it? He calls it a light, momentary affliction. Okay, when I hunger and thirst and call it a light, momentary affliction, it's because I've got to get out of my lazy boy chair and walk to the refrigerator to get something. He, He went through so much more. And he called it a light, momentary affliction. Okay, note to self, stop whining about the stuff you're going through. Because Paul went through stuff, a light, momentary affliction. Why could he say that? Why could he get to that point? Well, it's because of the rest of the verse. The light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. What is coming? He calls it a weight of glory. After the stoning and the prison and the shipwreck and the hungering and the thirsting, all of this is a light, momentary affliction. But I'm looking to the weight of glory. I read this quote about that. It says this, we speak of a weight of responsibility by which we mean a burden to be born. But this is a weight of glory a responsibility so tremendous, so vast in its implications, and yet so glorious in its experience that it is like a great weight which is fully met and answered by the strength that we shall have. What God will do, the glory that is to come, will be overwhelming to us. It'll be too much for us. He restores my soul for what is to come in glory. He restores my soul for what is to come in worship. Here's some great verses. Uh, Keep your finger in Psalm 23 and turn over to Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 5. You hear that noise? Isn't that a great noise? That's not the pattering of rain on the roof. That was the sound of Bible pages turning. Um, That makes a pastor really happy. Revelation chapter 5. Probably more important. I think it makes God pleased with us. Revelation 5, 11 and 12 says this. Then I looked and I heard around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. 
and blessing. Over in Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7, same book, he says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Restored for the glory that is to come. Restored for the worship that we will experience and and be involved in. In the Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, it said this, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the hosts of heaven worship you. In Revelation chapter 4, it says this, starting at verse 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who are seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and they were created Restored for what is to come. Jason preached last week from Psalm 24. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient days. The king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient days, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king. The king of glory. And so we're restored for what is to come. Restored in relationship so that we can go and be with the Father. We can spend eternity with him under the weight of his glory and on our faces before him, worshiping him. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. So that's restored future, but What about restored now? Restored now. Because that's where the rubber hits the road for many of us who are in this room right now and you've come today and maybe you're carrying a very heavy load and a burden that seems too much and and you need some restoration now. Here's some things you can do. They all start with R, five of them. First of all, you can refocus. You need to refocus Maybe your eyes have gone on to another shepherd. I'm not saying another religion. I'm just saying on other things have got a hold of you and, and you're, you're starting to worship things that you ought not to worship and, and you need to get refocused. I don't want another shepherd. I don't want another shepherd will offer me from someone else or something else. Proverbs 4.25 says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Be focused. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. It's time to get some refocusing done in our lives. If he is the Lord, he is my shepherd. And I don't want another shepherd and I don't want what another shepherd offers. Then, then maybe it's time for us to get a little refocusing going on in our lives. And maybe you never picked up your Bible from the time you left here last week until you came back this week and you're sitting there going, well, why do I feel like there's no power in what God is doing. He says, you need to refocus. You need to go back to what you used to do. You, or maybe you've never done it and you need to start picking up God's word and you need to get into a book like the gospel of John and just read it and just read it and see who Jesus is and see what he did. And you need to get in the word. You need to be spending some time in prayer. You need to get on your face before God and, and cry out to him. And you got sloppy in your walk and you need to refocus because he restores your soul. It's time to refocus. It's time for some real fellowship. It's time to be doing some life together with followers of Jesus Christ instead of dabbling in the world all of the time and, and not having my focus on what does God want for me. It's time to be restored by being refocused. Maybe you're going to be refocused or restored, I mean, by being refined. Maybe it's going to come through discipline or trial. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. I love these verses, but it concerns me about the implications of these verses. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There can be a time of trial, a time of refining. It might be a time of discipline going on in your life. Now, last night in the service, we had a group of people sitting in about the fourth row back there. Um, uh, they've just experienced a death in the family, a death of a husband, a father, a grandpa. They're being refined. And they're desiring to be restored. And they're looking for the joy of their salvation. We had another couple last night who were here who lost their baby uh, just a few weeks ago. And she came to the front at the end of the service and, and she wept. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Might be death at might be sickness. You might have been to the doctor this weekend. You got a report you didn't want to get or heard a report about somebody else that you really didn't want to hear. And, and you're going through some refining and you're coming to a pivotal point in your walk with God. And am, am I going to lean in, Lord? Am I going to lean in? Am I going to trust you for the hard thing I'm going through? Is the joy that comes back that only you can bring, Lord? Is that what I'm going for? Restore my soul. It might be disappointment. Might be disappointment in a relationship. Might be disappointment in not getting a job you wanted or a place to live that you thought was supposed to be yours. And, and, and you've come in today and you're a little bit like, rrr, rrr, how come I don't get everybody else's life all together? They all get it all easy. And I, rrr. Lord, restore my soul. Restore my soul. And God's not gonna let you go through anything that with his help you can't conquer together. 
Lots of things you're going to go through. You're going to mess up on your own. But with his help, you can go through anything. And he desires to do it. And if a, if a, a relationship has been a disappointment, and it go, God will have something better for you. If you didn't get the job, God has another thing for you. Lord, restore my soul. Maybe you need to refocus. Maybe you're being refined. Here's another one. Maybe it's time to repent. Maybe it's time to repent. Repent means a change of direction. I'm going in this direction. It's not leading me to godliness. It's not leading me to righteousness. It's leading me to what I want. It's leading me to sin. And it's time to repent. And in your walk with God, it's like, God is so distant from me. God just never seems to be close to me. And yet, you want what you want in some area of your life more than you want what God wants in that area of your life. And you won't repent. And you wonder why God's so distant. And it's time to turn. And it's time to go in a new direction. It's time to put that away. I'm not doing that anymore. It's time to... Have a change of mind about that. Although I know God hates that thing in my life, I kind of like that thing in my life. And as long as your repentance is only, I'm going to try not to do it anymore, you're always going back to it. Until you get to the place of looking at that thing like God looks at that thing and say, I'm going to hate that thing. And I'm going to love Jesus more. In our world that's so sexually charged and everything, so often repentance seems to be coming out of immorality and all the rest, but that's just like the tip of the iceberg. It's so much more than that in our lives. And so people who aren't wrestling with that are like, well, I got it made in the shade because I don't struggle with that. Well, think about what you do struggle with. Think about what you're holding on to in your life that you won't let go of. And you want that more than you want what God has for you. It could be a relationship, a relationship that doesn't honor the Lord, and you go, ah, Lord, I'm not giving that thing up. I just like that person. They're like so sweet to me. Hey, your enemy's about the most important thing in your life. It's not as sweet as you think it is. Or, or um, I've got my job, and, and if I'm gonna get through this thing, and I'm gonna get ahead, I'm gonna have to cut corners, or I'm gonna do things that don't honor the Lord. And you're willing to sacrifice your walk with God and then wonder why you don't feel restored to him and why you don't feel close to him and wonder why that everything seems so distant for you. Or maybe you're cutting corners around the edges and you're doing some things you shouldn't be doing. It's time to repent. It's time to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. And you're like, I've tried. I've tried before. Well, it's time to try again. Only this time, try it with God hates that. And I'm going to hate it. And I'm going to learn to hate it. And Lord, I'm going to trust you. Hey, let me tell you, it won't be perfect. It won't be easy. And you will struggle. And from time to time, you might even falter in that thing. But he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we can come back to him over and over and over again. And he hears it when his children cry out to him. 
But Lord, give me a heart and a passion for a change of direction and give me a heart and a passion for a change of mind about that thing and give me a heart and a passion for a change of the hope that comes. When you're hoping in those things, they lead you to destruction and to discouragement and to frustration. Lord, give me eyes to see what you want for me. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Luke 24, 46 to 48. Acts three nineteen says, repent therefore and turn back. Go back to what was that your sins may be blotted out. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10 says, as it is I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. And Matthew 3.8 says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. When you turn when this thing that you are after, you take hold of it, and you know what it is in your life, and you take hold of it and you go, I like that thing. God hates that thing. I want what God wants more than I want what I want, and so Lord, teach me to hate that thing, and I'm gonna go after what God has for me. When you do that, one of the results is fruit. Fruit comes out of repentance, It's the fruit that comes out of obedience and doing what God would have you to do. And and people start to ask you questions about your faith and why are you like, because you're not a hypocrite anymore. You're not pretending to be something that, and there'll be fruit. Fruit that comes from repentance. When I was a kid, whenever the word repent happened, it was always kind of in a hellfire and brimstone kind of way. Like, repent, repent, repent. And, And that's true. For sure, because without repentance and salvation, the result is hell. All right, so I'm not, I'm not demeaning that. But there's some amazing stuff that comes out of repentance. When we repent, there's forgiveness. When, when I repent, the restoration of intimacy with God and my relationship with him is put back in a right place. When I repent, here's another R, there's a release that happens for me. When I repent and I turn and I confess and I get right with God, there's a release that happens for me. The the release that happened when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior in initial repentance was the reality that I'm delivered from the penalty of sin. That's what happened when you trusted Christ. The reality is you were delivered from the penalty of sin and no longer will you ever come under that again that was taken care of in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we're being sanctified, as we're growing up in Christ and as we go through this battle and this journey of our lives to be more like Jesus Christ, there's the reality that we are being delivered from the power of sin. And one day, in glory, When God says, well done, good and faithful servant, we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. So repent. Why? Because there's a release 
the release of the guilt and the release of the frustration and the release of the shame. It's all taken care of in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now let, me, let me be quick to remind you of something. A Satan, he wants to keep throwing stuff in your face. If you've repented of something, you've confessed your sin and you're seeking after God, he's forgiven you. That sin has gone as far as the east is from the west, guys. It's gone. It's gone. But you keep living in guilt on that. Okay, let me tell you this. All of the sense of conviction that you get in your life doesn't come from God. Conviction of sin that you need to deal with, yeah, that's coming from God. But a sense of failure and a sense of who do you think you are and you can never measure up and God could never forgive that. You know where that comes from? That comes from the pit. That comes from hell. That comes from the one who is the accuser of the brethren. And some of you are living in guilt for sin that Christ has already covered in his blood. And the accuser, Satan, throws that in your face and your shoulders hump and your head goes down and you're like, oh, I'm a failure. God forgives. He forgave you. He has restored you. And when the accuser brings that lie to you, here's what you do with that. You just simply take that and you go, eh, wrong answer. I was forgiven of that sin. I have been restored in Jesus Christ. I have been made right in him. And I'm going to give God the glory. You can accuse me of whatever you want, but that's gone as far as the east is from the west. I have the righteousness of Christ in me. Believe me, Satan's not going to keep accusing you about stuff you give glory to God about. And there's a release. There's a release that happens for followers of Jesus Christ. When we come to a place of repenting and turning and a new focus and a new desire. And the last R that comes from that is the word refreshed. Refreshed. Most of you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Pretty well everybody in the world, I think, has heard that verse somewhere along the line. A trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now that was a combination of the King James, the NIV, and the ESV, I'm pretty sure. Okay? Just because I'm old. But have you ever read the next verses? Verses 7 and 8 say, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and... Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Turn away from what is causing you to stumble. Turn away to what has been the priority over your relationship with God. Turn away from it. Fear the Lord because why? Because it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Listen to what it says in Acts 3, 19 to 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Now listen, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. 
and that you might have times of refreshing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So what? So what? The last two words in that verse are that we looked at are my soul. My soul. I trust, I hope, I plead that you are not sitting here listening to this message today going, yeah, 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 my spouse really needs to hear this. My spouse really needs this message. Or that person who I serve with, or that person in my small group, I, I sure hope they're here. I sure hope they're getting it. This message is for your soul. He restores my soul. So what is God saying to you today? What is the restoration that you need in your soul today? How have you wandered off? How do you need to get back on track? What's the refocusing that you need? What is the refining that God is doing in your life? What is the repentance that's required for you so that you can be released from the pain and the suffering and you can be refreshed as God restores you? What's God calling you to? He sets the table. We're going to see in Psalm 23, the banquet table, he sets it for us. In restoration, he sets it for us. But you have to come to the point of, I need this. There's something in my life. You know what it is this morning. God's already revealed it to you. I need this. I need to get this right. And I want to get this right. And you, the good shepherd, Lord, I'll do whatever it takes to make it right. Because you are the one who will restore my soul. What's God saying to you? What's the restoration that's required so that he gets the glory and he gets the worship in your life today? Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. We thank you for it. It stirs our heart when we realize that um, a man like David, who struggled and faltered and failed, who sinned, who murdered, who committed adultery, who did all of those things, was also a man who was called a man after your own heart. God, make me a man after your own heart. Father, I, I realize that as he wrote this, he understood all that you had done, and he cries out, Lord, Restore my soul. Father, would you do that work in our church? Would you do that work in our lives? Would you restore us, Lord? For the person who's not saved, Father, that today they would come to the place, they would trust in simple faith, Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. But Lord, some of us have been carrying a root of bitterness or anger or hurt or we need to be refocused. We need to be refined. Father, we need to cry out in repentance and come to you because you love it when your children come. And if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. God, do that work in my life. Do that work in our hearts and do it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.